I was speaking with a graduate of our school today, 12 people in the world with his medical condition. He's maybe 30 inches tall and is on a, a ventilator. 24-7 and graduated as our valedictorian and went on to Adelphi and he's talking to me about graduate school. For someone to apply for a job who may be blind, have a visual impairment, not be able to use a mouse or a keyboard, they need that website, the careers portal, to be accessible and usable. Once they get the job, they need the intranet and those companies' applications to be the same. But what we found is individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities oftentimes really thrive if they have on-the-job support. I am absolutely sensing that the COVID-19 virus has a huge silver lining for the disability community, specifically as it relates to the work from home access. This concept of working remotely from home is something that would really allow people with a disability to thrive and not just survive. Those are my forecasts for this episode that will focus on the challenges, benefits, and roadmap for creating a world that is more physically and digitally inclusive to people from a variety of intellectual, developmental, physical, and sensory disabilities. In this episode, we're going to look at the broad spectrum of challenges presented as well as the opportunities for you, your company, and your ERG to build a more inclusive world that broadens your job candidate pool as well as your markets. Before we begin, a quick note and some recognition for our sponsors. This is ERG Power Talk and I'm your host, Joe Santana. The purpose of ERG Power Talk is to provide a forum for the exchange of great ideas and inspiration for ERG leaders as well as others that are interested in supporting ERGs. No more waiting until the next conference and praying that you have the budget to travel to the conference in order to find great ideas and find stimulation toward action. Just subscribe and listen at your convenience. Before we begin, a quick note of thanks to our supporters and sponsors. Atrium Health, Freighter Health and Wisconsin Medical College, Mass Mutual, Lockheed Martin, Avenod, Daimler Trucks North America, and Sony Pictures Entertainment. Now, let's go straight to the program. According to Wikipedia, a little over 1 billion people on this planet live with some form of disability. That's about 15% of the world's population. The article goes on to point out that people with disabilities are more likely to be unemployed and underserved by organizations whose products and services are tailored primarily for people who are not disabled. Years ago, organizations began to recognize that we needed to make some modifications to physical spaces in order to make them more accessible to people with different ranges of intellectual, developmental, physical, and sensory disabilities. These solutions had to be bolted on to a world that was not originally built to accommodate everyone. They are still in the process of being bolted on because it's an afterthought, and solutions that are afterthoughts are often hard to implement. As we stand on the threshold of a world of work and life that is increasingly becoming more digital, we now have an opportunity to build a virtual world from the bottom up that is more inclusive of everyone, regardless of ability. So how can you and your ERG play a part in making that world more inclusive for people of all abilities in a way that benefits your company and society? 
That is what my four guests are going to be covering with us today. So let's bring our first guest in. He is the CEO of a company that, among other things, provides educational opportunities to children who are severely disabled. He is a former partner in the D.C. law firm of Powers, Piles, Sutter, and Verville. And he is the co-author and co-editor of a book titled Reflections from a Different Journey, published by McGraw-Hill, which shares essays from writers who were raised from birth or early childhood with disabilities. Hi, I'm John Kemp, President and CEO of the Viscardi Center and Henry Viscardi School on Long Island. Hi, John. Welcome to the podcast. John, tell our listeners a little bit about your school. Our school is uh, has been in existence for 60 years or so, maybe 58 to 60 years. And it was developed 10 years after Dr. Viscardi founded the employment side of this, the Viscardi Center. And he realized that he was missing all these young kids who weren't getting a good education, a good public education, because when he started his work, Kids with disabilities could legally be screened out of schools. So he developed a school for kids with disabilities, who many of them had mild disabilities, were, were amputees, and, and they weren't difficult disabilities at all. But it, it was enough to keep them out of the public school system. So fast forward today where we have the Individuals with uh, Disabilities Education Act, IDEA, and it's, it's gotten reformed and refined over the years and still not fully funded, by the way, by the federal government, as it was promised, that it would absorb 40% of all the costs, hasn't yet been done. School districts are doing a pretty darn good job of including a lot of people with disabilities in in their public school systems. But there are big gaps as well. Severely disabled children with complex medical conditions, they cannot handle easily at all. Um, they have a very difficult time with people who have sensory-based disabilities, and they're always worrying about how to fully include them. Our school developed for physically disabled kids has always had that, that particular license from the state of New York to operate as such, and we have evolved to having a school for medically fragile, severely physically disabled children who can engage in the general curriculum. But we serve 170 primarily nonverbal kids who use powered wheelchairs for mobility and are wickedly smart in general, as smart as anybody else, and very capable. Um, I was speaking with a graduate of our school today uh, named Chris Alvarez, who is one of 12 people in the world with his medical condition. He's maybe 30 inches tall and is on a a ventilator 24-7 and graduated as our valedictorian and went on to Adelphi University where he's graduating this year with a 3.8 and he's talking to me about graduate school. Just one of the, a person who could easily have been pushed off to the side and said, you are just way too complex to deal with. We have a group of students that don't easily fit into a public school environment, but who we give incredible academic opportunities to, and they flourish. And they know that 
they know that they're going out into the world. They know exactly that they're in a special school, so to speak, but it's not to restrict them. It's to actually empower them. And they come out of our school as leaders. Almost all of them go to the top of their, of their colleges, um, disabled student services groups, and they become leaders and, and, and very empowered. So I think our philosophy is just working extremely well. Wow, that's a fantastic story, John. So tell me, what are some of the challenges that employers face when it comes to employing members of the disabled community? Well, I think one of the harder parts, and I work with a couple of companies and uh, directly, was when two of uh, 14 members of a committee, of an external committee to a corporation that advises the this company, two of them happened to be deaf, and there was always the need to have an interpreter. And the company would always think about the interpreter as this extra cost. It was always the special extra cost, and they could never quite embed that theory of of accessibility includes all of these these services, these things that we take for granted, a telephone, all of these types of things. It, it took a while for them to understand that it's not a luxury to have an interpreter for people who are deaf. It's essential for them to have it. So I think learning that and going through that experience, always it, it's always a learning process with disability. And I think one of the things that, that I've learned over the many years that I've worked with companies is that, that you're never done learning about the nuances of disability that that make it easy for all of us to be able to participate in all aspects of, of a job. So what's the role that ERGs can play in all this, John? I think ERGs have an op opportunity to connect together because sometimes the veterans ERG works perfectly well with the uh, disability ERG. The LGBTQ ERG works very well with the disability community ERG in terms of disclosure and, and bringing your, your whole self to work and understanding all of that. But in an ERG, essentially, you have people who are, who are maybe parents of people with disabilities or children of people with disabilities related to friends of and they're already, they're already in the circle. They, they really do want to help the company do better and better, both as, as uh, how they treat their employees, but also how they treat customers and supply chain people. So an ERG has an opportunity to bring a lot of different voices and viewpoints to the company and be an internal consultant of sorts to HR or to all aspects of the company. So I think they're rich in content. If there's an avenue and a willingness for the C-suite folks to listen to what's going on and, and take their ideas and implement them. It's just a, a really rich group of people. So it sounds like what you're saying is that by working together intersectionally with other ERGs, disability-focused ERGs can do their best work. What about in the area of helping employees who have disabilities who now are working remotely? I'm sure there's a lot that they can do in that area, right, John? Yes, uh, the ERGs have an opportunity to um, advise the company on how to include a lot of people who are now working remotely, whether they wanted to or not, 
they are learning how to do that. And so when materials are put forth for either internal or external use, they have to be used or, or delivered in a format that allows a lot of different ways in which people can access them. If people happen to be blind, they have to be able to access the material that's being presented to them for work, um, be able to read it on a screen reader. They have to be able to understand what's being said in a video. And not everybody is able to understand what is being said just because you send out a video. So captioning becomes a real issue. Uh, live streaming without captioning for a lot of people puts them at an extreme disadvantage. I was on a, a call this morning on a, an inclusive e-platform that wasn't fully, fully inclusive because there was not the captioning, the live stream captioning. So there are just ways in which people learn through experiences, even though you say it and we say it and other people say it. Once you go through an experience like that where somebody is disadvantaged, and this morning I, I was the one who was disadvantaged because my audio went off and I could see everybody and they're they're gesturing to me that I they can't hear me and I can't hear them and I'm trying to gesture back with my prostheses that I cannot understand what in the world is being said and I realized that if I were deaf I would have a really hard time and I would not be able to understand what's being said so it's just a matter of keep opening up our minds to understanding that there are a multitude of people who are going to be accessing these systems and they may have intellectual or developmental disabilities. So it's just a matter of we are continually in a learning mode all the time. So John, I would imagine then that your advice is that as we continue to learn, we continue to make some improvements and adaptations to these various systems that we use to work remotely. Yes, uh, it, is, it is usually that. But we, we tend to think that if we do our jobs right as good advocates, that we go to the source and we start looking at the developers who are developing the software systems that, that allow these platforms to exist. And if we can get to them and we can say to a web developer that there have to be these considerations already built in under the hood, anything that's bolted on is an after the fact thought and it costs more and it's more of a an inconvenience to implement. It's just a matter of literally building into the system these capabilities so that people can turn them on or turn them off and give them give themselves the choice and control over how they wish to import information. So John, it sounds to me like based on what you're saying, uh, advocacy groups, ERGs that are in organizations that are supporting people with disabilities would do really well to partner with chief information officers and chief technology officers in their company, as well as with the people that are developing technologies for them externally to support their workforce in order to make sure that these capabilities are built into these tools. So what can these ERG leaders do in order to make sure that they've got that big picture so that when they serve in this advocacy role, they can do so with that big picture in mind of all the different types of disabilities that are out there and the different needs that are out there. Yes, I think ERGs have a, a great voice and they're already already respected. Many of us 
in the disability community have been called upon to do trainings for ERGs and, and especially the disability ERG where we talk about all of the different aspects of life with a disability from different perspectives and, and issues to consider. And, and, you know, we're real smart about our own disabilities or the ones we know like mom has or dad has or our child has, but it doesn't mean that we know a lot about a lot of other disabilities. And I've grown up with a disability, lived my whole life with my disability. I know this disability being an amputee really well, but it doesn't make me an expert in deafness or blindness or, or intellectual disabilities at all. So it really takes an opportunity for an ERG to bring experts together and continually expose them uh, themselves to what is going on in your world and how can we make the, the best use of our products and services and our communication tools and so that employment or, or purchases of, of our, our goods and services are as seamless as possible. I agree. John, tell us a little more about what you do for organizations, what your company does, and how you guys can be reached. Well, I am so lucky to be the CEO of one of the most extraordinary organizations uh, in the country and maybe the world, where we have a school, we have um, adolescent and adult programs, uh, we work with corporations on on what they're what they're trying to get accomplished through ERGs and everything else that's going on, if they reached out to us through the www.discardicenter.org, uh, they could certainly find us and reach us. And I think that would probably be the best way is through our website, the Viscardi Center. John, thank you so much for dropping in today. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Joe. Now let's bring in our second guest for this first half of the program. She is also a CEO of a company in the disability space, as well as a media personality and the author of the book, Dive In. Her book encourages employers to map out a plan for inclusion of people with a variety of abilities that will elevate the company's status with customers, as well as positioning them as an employer of choice. Hello, I'm Nadine Vogel. I'm CEO of Springboard Global Enterprises, which is home to Springboard Consulting, Disability Mama and Company, the Springboard Foundation, and the WIP Group, Women, Influence, and Power. Nadine, welcome to the podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about what your company does? So Springboard works with companies to mainstream people with disabilities in the workforce, the workplace, and the marketplace. Nadine, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing that are arising out of everybody suddenly working at home, especially people with disabilities? I think that this current situation is bringing those three much closer together, and especially so for people with disabilities. You know, in the past, you'd have people with significant disabilities who might say their accommodation would be if they could work from home because maybe they are unable to drive or have significant disabilities that could take three hours in the morning to get ready. And in the past, you know, companies would say, I'm sorry, we can't do that. That doesn't work for us for a variety of reasons. Well, now 100% almost of the workforce is being accommodated, if you will, um, by working from home. So that's, that's one piece. Another is this issue of access. And I don't, I don't mean physical access, but digital access. Um, 
for someone to apply for a job who may be blind, have a visual impairment, not be able to use a mouse or a keyboard, they need that website, the careers portal, to be accessible and usable. Uh, once they get the job, they need the intranet and those companies' applications to be the same. Um, today, working from home, that has become more important than ever from the standpoint not only of being able to access internal applications and programs because they don't have someone sitting next to them who maybe can just answer a question, but even from the standpoint of ordering a pizza, ordering food to be brought in, ordering groceries, ordering paper goods, medicines, whatever is needed. We have to now realize that that accessibility digitally is critical to that workplace, but then also conversely to that marketplace. Um, we've had issues with folks needing an accommodation at home where an employer has responded not understanding exactly why that accommodation was needed uh, because they are in their own home and not realizing that, yes, their home accommodates them from a personal standpoint. It doesn't mean that it's set up for someone to work at their desk eight hours a day. So it has brought about all kinds of issues that, in some respects, people with disabilities were almost more prepared for than, than others. Um, companies, I don't think, prepared for at all. And so it, it's, in some ways, closing the gap of understanding. I just hope that companies remember this so that when we go back to whatever that new normal is, they don't go back to the old ways of thinking and not being as flexible and open to some of these issues that have come up. Yeah, and these issues are not a one-size-fits-all, are they? There's a saying that, you know, if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. It's kind of like this. Everybody's disability and their needs are quite different. Uh, in the education system, we call it IDEA, I-D-E-A, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. For that reason, it is so individual. And that's why we need companies to be, um, to be aware, to be open to whatever the needs are, and, and be flexible. So Nadine, what role do disability ERGs play in all this? Every ERG, whether it's disability or anything else, has a mission, vision, objectives. Um, the disability ERG, first and foremost, has to align with business goals and objectives. It, meaning, even in the disability space, what are those objectives for the company? What are the needs for the company? Number one. Number two, we have to look at who, are the, who is this group serving? Are they serving employees with disabilities, employees who are parents of children with special needs, which, by the way, have some very unique issues right now, working from home and caring for the child with special needs, again, depending on the nature and needs of the child and educating them. Um, are they serving veterans with service disabilities? You know, so there's, there's even segments within that. In terms of how they can help the company, one, it really depends on what their mission and vision is. Two, um, they can't be everything to everybody and provide guidance on everything. What we have to remember is individuals with disabilities don't always want to be the, the show pony, if you will. And okay, I have cerebral palsy, therefore, I will tell you everything about cerebral palsy and help everyone with cerebral palsy. Everybody's needs are different. What I do think the ERG can and very much should do is be a body of influence 
be a body that can provide resources, guide the company to resources, um, help facilitate dialogues that HR will lead, that talent acquisition would lead, that employee relations, depending on what topic specifically we're talking about. We have to remember that an ERG is, is not an accountable business union with the, with the company. So it can't necessarily take ownership of something, but it can very much serve as an influencer and as a guide to what's needed. So Nadine, what are some of the things that companies that have these ERGs that support disability have in common that really make these ERGs effective in this space? The companies that have really been best in class have bylaws, have a roadmap for how to run the ERG from everything from how to align with that mission vision, what the objectives should be, what are the definitions of success? Um, you know, when we say we have members, what, is, what does a member actually mean? How do we go about obtaining dollars to have initiatives? What types of initiatives? Yep, that makes a lot of sense, Nadine. So I know you run a couple of programs, and I'm sure you've seen some companies that really stand out in terms of the kind of ERGs that they have that are supporting these efforts. Can you name a few? So um, one, of the, one of the companies this year that was talking about some of the work they've done and done very successfully is um, Intel. Another one is Intuit. Uh, both these companies were speaking and, and illustrating the incredible programs they have. Uh, both of these companies, their executive sponsors are all in 500%. Uh, that's number one. Number two is that they both have um, disability ERG related uh, intranet sites that folks can go to to get information, resources, and it is updated on a regular basis. I can't tell you how many companies I've gone to where they show me their site and I see things from five years ago, <laughs> right? This is updated actually almost weekly every other week. People are just updating information. Um, it's expected. You know, we talk about managing to expectations. That's what both of these companies do. Um, so that the rest of the folks in the company really come to expect and understand what they can go to that ERG as a group or individual members for. They also look at disability in a very broad way. So everything from general disability etiquette and awareness to mental health issues, to neurodiversity, intellectual, they're really looking to see what the needs are of the company. So it's how do we support the needs of the company? And then in turn, as a result of doing that, our individual members are going to get supported and get what they need as well. Makes a lot of sense. So Nadine, how can listeners reach you and your organization? People can reach me, uh, probably email Nadine, N-A-D-I-N-E at consultspringboard.com. Uh, they certainly could call us at 973-813-7260. Uh, they can also go to the website, www.consultspringboard.com. And actually, uh, we have a brand new site that's going to be rolled out probably in the next four to six weeks. So we're really, really excited about that. Sounds good. Nadine, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Joe. So here's my take on what we've gotten out of our discussions with John and Nadine. One, even people with the most severe disabilities can become full participants in our economy and society. 
Two, the tools we need to include people with various disabilities already exist. Three, your ERGs can play a role in raising the awareness of your organization with regards to the value of people with disabilities as both employees and buyers of your company's products and services. Four, the key to enabling work from home for people with a variety of disabilities is to A, leverage tools that let us convey information in a variety of visual, audio, and even tactile formats. And B, leverage tools that enable people with various degrees of physical mobility disabilities to use tools like computers, phones, etc. Five, disability ERGs can serve the present and future needs of this community by partnering with their company's chief information officer, chief technology officer, as well as with external developers of hardware and software tools to make sure that these tools have the capability to work with people of different physical, sensory, and intellectual capabilities. Six, people with disabilities working from home may still need accommodations because while their home may be set up to accommodate them for their living needs, it may not necessarily be set up to accommodate their job demands. Seven, the best solutions for enabling people with disabilities to work from home are the ones that allow software and hardware features that can be turned on and off as needed to accommodate a variety of needs. Eight, ERGs serving as disability advocates in their companies need to focus on a specific set of needs that align with their company needs. Nine, once they zero in on a specific mission and goal, these ERGs can serve as a guide and influencer within their organizations. And finally, 10, the best of the best ERGs in this space have a clear roadmap, fully engage executive sponsors, and they provide updated information to their entire organization on the broadest spectrum of disabilities and how the company can support those needs. Next up, we're going to explore more types of support available to you, your ERGs, and your organization. We're also going to look at where you can begin to start looking so that you can make your organization a more inclusive employer that serves an even broader market of individuals and employees. But first, let's take another break for station identification and sponsor recognition. This is ERG Power Talk, and I'm your host, Joe Santana. The purpose of ERG Power Talk is to provide a forum for the exchange of great ideas and inspiration for ERG leaders, as well as others that are interested in supporting ERGs. No more waiting until the next conference and praying that you have the budget to travel to the conference in order to find great ideas and find stimulation toward action. Just subscribe and listen at your convenience. Before we begin, a quick note of thanks to our supporters and sponsors. Atrium Health, Freighter Health and Wisconsin Medical College, Mass Mutual, Lockheed Martin, Avenod, Daimler Trucks North America, and Sony Pictures Entertainment. Now, let's go straight to the program. And we're back. Our next guest works for an organization that is dedicated to establishing a global volunteer movement that creates opportunities for one-to-one -one friendships, integrated employment, leadership development, and inclusive living for individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Hi, I'm Amber Kaufman. I'm the Senior Director of Jobs for Best Buddies International. 
Amber, welcome to the podcast. So tell us a little more about Best Buddies International. So Best Buddies International, we're the largest organization um, globally that's dedicated to ending isolation for individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, I work for our jobs program, which is one of our four pillars, and we work to find competitive, meaningful employment for individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, and that can run, um, you know, an array of disabilities or unique abilities, if you will, um, from the intellectual side. An intellectual disability is characterized by significant limitations, both in intellectual functioning, reasoning, learning, problem solving, and in adaptive behavior, which covers a range of everyday social and practical skills. This disability originates before the age of 18. On the developmental side, developmental disability is an umbrella term that includes intellectual disability, but also includes other disabilities that are diagnosed during childhood. Developmental disabilities are chronic disabilities that can be cognitive, physical, or both. The disabilities appear before the age of 22 and are typically lifelong. Some individuals may have a condition that includes both a physical and intellectual disability. And so when you see developmental disability, a lot of times you're thinking of autism, Asperger's, mild MR, um, CP. So it runs the gamut. Um, and, you know, there can be some characteristics that are common, but... Everybody is unique, and if you have autism, it may manifest itself differently, you know, in one person than it does another. So it's hard to have generalizations about which is which, and um, so we try to look at everybody uniquely. Got it. And that's a recurring theme that I've heard from some of the other people that I've met with and discussed this topic with. So, Amber, what do you recommend that our listeners who are ERG chairs and ERG leaders do in order to help support their organizations in terms of being able to be more inclusive of people who have these various disabilities that you described? I would say first and foremost, you want to partner with a supported employment program like Best Buddies. We have done a 180 in the types of supports that we provide. Obviously, we have been very person-centered, hands-on, going to the work site, going to the participant. Um, and obviously, we've had to shift gears, as everyone has, to do remote support. But what we found is individuals with IDD oftentimes really thrive if they have on-the-job support, which comes through an employment consultant, which is something that Best Buddies provides. And that employment consultant is there as a service for our participants, but also for the employer partner. We can kind of break down tasks and really communicate that out to the participant and make sure that they're doing what they need to do and what's expected of them, and they totally grasp what's expected of them. Um, we have seen that many of our participants, because they do traditionally more transactional type of roles that they're not in you know an essential role right now working in a grocery store um, or you know office services because a lot of times they're the ones that are kind of keeping the mail function going and things like that um, about 19 have been able to maintain 
work from home status where they're actually able to do their job. And so individuals that, have, that are successful and are able to work from home right now are doing necessary work with HR, with accounting, um, data entry, coding, things like that that you can do from home. But I would say the secret to success here is really finding the right supported employment provider like a Best Buddies that can source the talent for you and provide that support, whether it's remote or on the job. So Amber, what's been your experience in providing that support remotely? We actually had a participant start last week at Cushman and Wakefield. And so everything is being done remotely, all the onboarding and so the employment consultant is just dialing in uh, remotely, whether it's via the phone or video conferencing, to help this individual onboard. And many companies are onboarding people virtually right now, too, until their office place is up and running um, or their you know place of work is up and running. Wow. So your organization's already gotten some experience in providing this type of remote support. Right. Well, it's brand spanking new. We have worked with Cushman. We do have successful placements, but obviously they were on the job and this was prior to COVID. This is our first hire during COVID with the remote support. That's great, Amber. And I would imagine that right now you're using this as an opportunity to build out your ability in the long term to be able to support people working remotely. been thinking about this for a while. We know that it's the future. It's the way that or organizations like ours will be able to service that many more people um, because it's an efficient way of providing service. We're in the process of building out what our curriculum will look like to provide remote support. So we're going to, you know, do it from top down. And uh, we have a focus group that's on it now, taking all the learnings that we've gotten from um, COVID and <laughs> the emergency response we've had to do to make it our business as usual. So Amber, in addition to calling you in and engaging with you, what are some of the things that ERGs do that are helpful to you or can do that are helpful to you in terms of supporting people that come to work for the organization who have these disabilities? When a company signs on to work with somebody like Best Buddies and to work with an individual with an IDD, if that is being communicated out and what that looks like and what that means and um, can dispel any fears that people might have or, um, you know, any stereotyping that may happen, um, we can be there to sort of smooth that out in partnership with an ERG. I think that I read a stat somewhere, or heard a stat somewhere that ERGs are responsible for getting about 80% of messaging out across a company. So there's a lot of power there. In addition to that, ERGs, we've seen them work with us closely on providing jobs readiness sessions. So anything from like interview prep, resume. Um, so we like to work closely with ERGs whenever we can and whenever businesses have an established one. And Amber, what do you offer these ERGs to prepare them to be effective partners and to do this type of training? We provide incredible, we have a toolkit of trainings, anything from change management to just basic disability etiquette 101. We can do that and a lot of times providing that to an ERG can then trickle out of, across the organization. So what's an example of a company ERG that you've partnered with successfully? JLL, they're wonderful. They have their possibilities ERG, which is working and targeting individuals with disabilities in the workplace 
place. They have created a playbook on how to best work with best buddies and JLL, knowing their process, our process, and merging them together so that when we take it to a new market, easy peasy it's like we've done it this is what works these are the roles that are ideal these are the individuals that are ideal and best buddies is the right partner you know to see this through amber this all sounds great so where can people reach you and learn more about best buddies um, bestbuddies.org. We um, are an international global force uh, we have our jobs program across the US but then we're in 31 markets and then we're in um, 10 countries not including the US so that's really great so you can find us on our website or you can email me direct if it's something that is jobs related Amber Kaufman that's C-O-F-F-M-A-N at bestbuddies.org Amber it's been a pleasure thank you for joining us today thank you Joe it's a pleasure and now let's meet our final guests. This is a gentleman who has a laser-like focus and passion around the idea of making the physical and digital world available to everyone, regardless of ability or disability. He is the founder and CEO of an organization that seeks to give all individuals, regardless of ability, access to tools and technologies that will give them infinite possibilities. My name is Albert Rizzi, and I am with My Blind Spot, an organization that inspires accessibility and digital equity and inclusion for people of all abilities. Welcome to the podcast, Albert. Tell us a little more about your company. Thanks for having me here today, Joe. I started the company about 13, 14 years ago, and we work with people of all abilities, all assistive devices, and we try to promote authentic inclusion in both our corporate and social cultures. Albert, can you share with us your journey that brought you to where you are today and to starting My Blind Spot? Well, um, I guess now, 15 years ago, um, I thought we had what was my annual sinus infection and uh, December 9th was rushed to the hospital. That was December 9th, 05. And, um, Turned out to be anything but a sinus infection. Actually, five spinal taps later, two negatives, two positives, just to double check what the negatives were not saying. It turned out to be a lethal form of meningitis. Um, I went into the hospital on December 9th, about 190 pounds with 2020 vision, and left two months later, January 27th, 2006, totally blind and about 124 pounds. So uh, that's the journey I started uh, as a member of the disability community. Um, it was not on my radar at all. I had no foreshadowing or no um, genetic predispositions to acquiring a disability. And um, from that, my blind spot was born. Uh, basically out of my father's insistence that, that I be the best blind person that I could be and out of the frustrations and um, the constant running into digital barriers, I launched my blind spot, which, as I said earlier, is dedicated to inspiring uh, digital accessibility, equity, and authentic inclusion for people of all abilities in both our social and corporate cultures. Upon losing my eyesight, I found that everything I used to use was not 
usable. Checks could not write a check, obviously. Using computers had become impossible or nearly impossible. I quickly learned about the digital barriers that exist, how simple programmatic codes aren't being introduced into mobile applications, websites, um, any digitized communications or information um, avenues we travel via the internet, which is how my blind spot was born. Well, first, let me say that's an amazing journey, Albert. So what is it exactly that you're asking corporations to do? Corporations buy these technologies to reach a market base and to create revenues. And all I'm asking them to do and all we want them to do is maximize their technologies to appreciate the fullest functionality possible. And that's not happening today. 80% of our digital platforms are still inaccessible and in violation of federal law. So these organizations are literally missing out on the market. What about on the employment end of the equation? HR departments and legal departments are the biggest barriers in this world. Lawyers don't want to run the risk of hiring a person with a disability because of some exposure. HR doesn't think that a person with a disability might be valued as an employee. I spoke to friends of mine who are superintendents who said they would never hire a blind principal or a blind teacher. I mean, these are the hard truths. The uh, unemployment rate amongst the disability community, again, 62 million, even if we say 35, 40 million are able to go to work. 70 to 80 percent of us are unemployed or underemployed. In the blind community, there are nearly 20 million people of working age where there's an 80 percent unemployment rate and definitely an underemployment rate. Then we have taken into consideration our universities and colleges not complying with the laws either. So Albert, it sounds to me like what you're saying is that there needs to be a huge across the spectrum shift in the way that organizations, nonprofits, as well as academia interface with this large community that many of us are part of, and if we're not part of in time, as we grow older, we will become part of. You need to look at us as a market base. You need to look at us as a consumer base. You need to look at us as a valued candidate pool of adept, capable people. So what can ERGs that are internal advocacy groups do to help their organizations to begin to tackle these challenges? You need to do what we refer to as an organizational audit. We've done this in Canada. We do it in New York. We've done it across the country where we go in and we assess the physical environment and the digital environment to maximize opportunities in a manner that allows corporations to hire and retain talent that happens to have a disability. What are some of the things that you look at to make sure that the digital environment is accessible to people with different abilities? It's a very simple test. We, we, we use our tab keys. If, if there are skipped navigation links, there are images and graphics that need to be defined. And 90% of the time I find digital glitches that don't allow me to access the information that is on a website. Uh, whether it's something as simple and as valuable as the brand and the image of the corporation, or understanding where I am within the website so I can enter the proper credentials or information to access uh, and, and enjoy their offerings. So Albert, when you find these things, what is it that you recommend the company do to fix these things? It basically comes down to simple digi digital codes that need to be included in the design and development phase of any team that is producing 
a, a digital platform. But recently, we were talking with uh, American Express on some of the projects they have in the hopper. And do we have to think about those and design those with accessibility in mind? I'm like, yes, if you want them to get off the ground and off that shelf. So Albert, what you are advocating, like some of my other guests have, is putting in that accessibility at the design phase. It's so simple to bake, literally bake inclusion into the design and development process, just the way you'd make a cake or a batch of cookies. There are 1.4 billion people in the world with a disability, 2.3 billion friends and family. Globally, they have a, uh, a discretionary spending power of over $8 trillion. Almost $5 trillion of those dollars reside in North America, where we have almost a $300 billion disposable income. You know, we have investment portfolios, we have means, we have intelligence, we have education. What we don't have is barrier-free access to digital platforms to contribute and be valued as members of our society and of corporate America. There needs to be a shift internally. The CTO, the CIO, and the CEO need to take a, a, an intentional look at digital equity and the numbers we're talking about. That makes sense, Albert. I know you've already had some experience helping organizations that have software platforms to make them more accessible. Can you share a story with us? A few years back, I think it was 2011, we started pitching the possibility of working with Intuit to make QuickBooks, the, the premier software accounting program, accessible and usable and functional to people with disabilities. And do you have people today using that program? Our bookkeeper, Jose was going to LaGuardia College and learned how to use QuickBooks and had learned it with the program that we sold him and came to us and said, would you hire me? And we did. So we had a deafblind individual who was able to use QuickBooks with the tools that he's comfortable using and did so for almost two years. That's a great story, Albert. And from what you've told me, it's not a unique story. A lot of people with the right tools can also become very functional and effective in their careers. There are plenty of deaf blind people out there uh, who could execute in life all because of a simple change in programmatic coding. And of course, the same is true about other types of disabilities as well. I've got colleagues of mine who are paralyzed from the neck down who are running accessibility divisions for JP Morgan Chase, Jim Sanaki. You've got a totally deaf woman, Jenny, uh, Jenny Lay Fleury, running all of the accessibility for Microsoft. Uh, Jeff Weldon, who's paralyzed from the neck down, and Jeff is one of our you know, consummate testers with Dragons Naturally Speaking and Eye Gaze. He uses these, these uh, his eyes and the movements of his head that lock into the cursor for this program that we, we secured for him. That's amazing, and I'm sure there are more things like that being developed. A colleague of mine in the D.C. area is trying to come up with an app where people who are deaf, blind, or deaf could use this as an intermediary to process information with people. Because if you're deaf, blind, there's, there's only touch signing. You have to hold your hand upon somebody else's as they're communicating with you in sign language, which is just not you know, social distancing. Wow, that is all fascinating stuff. So where can listeners reach you for more information, Albert? They can go to the website, myblindspot.org, see what we're doing. 
Um, and they can write me directly at albert at myblindspot.org anytime. Um, my cell phone number is 917-553-0347. After losing my eyesight, actually choosing to come back blind, it was a very spiritual awakening for me. And I knew I was going to be blind when I came out of my drug-induced coma. My, my, my calling now is to make sure that we remove all the barriers to authentic inclusion so that the young children who are being born with a disability or any of my peers who follow behind me and acquire a disability don't have to endure the distracting frustrations that inaccessible platforms bring to your life as you're trying to recover and trying to assimilate back into some sense of normalcy. I am absolutely sensing that um, the COVID-19 virus has a huge silver lining for the disability community, specifically as it relates to the work from home access. This concept of working remotely from home is something that would really allow people with a disability to thrive and not just survive. And on that perfect note, we will end for today. Albert, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Joe. So what did we learn from Amber and Albert in this second half of our program? Here's what I got. One, there are a broad range of intellectual, physical, and developmental disabilities, but these do not have to result in a life of dependency and unemployment for anyone. Two, in addition to working with hardware and software tool providers, as mentioned earlier, ERG leaders can bring in nonprofits like Best Buddies that offer supportive employment consultants to people with disabilities. Three, these employment consultants are available both in person as well as remotely via virtual tools, which means that people with disabilities can also receive support when they work remotely from home. Four, another role that your corporate disability ERGs can play is that of trainer of people who are job candidates with disabilities. Five, ERGs can also educate the organization about the programs that help people with disabilities. Six, Organizations like the ones that we've met today can provide your ERG with a lot of tools, collateral, and material that you can use for training and for other forms of support. Seven, disability ERGs can begin the process of making their companies more inclusive of people with different abilities by having an assessment of their digital and physical environments. Eight, again, the key to making the digital and physical world more accessible to people with different abilities is to make all of these tools accessible and inclusively available to people across the entire spectrum of abilities and disabilities. And finally, nine, this is not just a vision of the future. There are plenty of people working right now with a variety of what would be considered severe disabilities, and they're doing it with the support of tools that exist right now. As Albert's story brings home to us, any one of us or any one of our loved ones can join the disabled community at any moment without warning. In fact, if we live long enough, we will all experience changes in our abilities over time. From a business standpoint, it doesn't make sense for companies to ignore leveraging a workforce of people who are clearly passionate, problem solvers, armed with many of the tools, education, and skills that companies need to succeed. 
or to ignore such a large market of consumers simply because they fail to make their products and their services useful to them. All of these things behoove all of us to create a world in which people with various physical, intellectual, developmental, and sensory disabilities can function fully as members of an all-inclusive and thriving society. As ERG leaders, you have an opportunity to lead the way. Thank you for tuning in to ERG Power Talk. If you enjoyed and got value out of this program, please like us and leave a favorable review at your podcast provider's site. Also, invite others to listen to the show. By the way, contact me if you're looking for an ERG symposium keynote or a leader for your strategy workshop, new chair onboarding, and or ERG bootcamp. I can run these for you either in person or in a virtual setting. Also, for more great ideas and tips for your ERGs, get my book, Supercharger ERGs, 18 Tips to Power Up Your ERG Strategy on Amazon.com. I'm Joe Santana, and thanks again for tuning in.